I don't know if you have seen Ken Burns' latest offering. He, is, he has established a resume that pretty much makes him the, the absolute pinnacle of documentary filmmaking over the years. His latest offering is a history of country music. And if you haven't seen it, you have got to watch it. Even if you don't like country music, if, if you're not American, you should still watch this documentary. I'm just teasing. You should totally watch this documentary. It's amazing. He traces the roots of country music all the way back to, to Jimmy Rogers, to Hank Williams Sr., from Patsy Cline to Reba, Waylon and Willie, to George and Garth, down to the current crop of country crooners that are out there. And it's an amazing, amazing series. But there's this this one question that keeps popping up over and over and over and over again. From the earliest days of country music, people have had trouble defining what is country music. People, they, it's, it's hard because it's this, it's this interesting hodgepodge. You've got some hillbilly with some blues, and sometimes there's rock and roll. Even, you know, there's some jazz sometimes thrown in there with Bob Wills, and even Willie Nelson has done a lot of jazz stuff. So, People have always asked, what is really country music? And so I thought I would do a little research to help us as a church family be able to answer this critical spiritual question. <laughs> now, I promise you, I'm going somewhere spiritual with this. But just real quickly, let me show you some of the research that I came up with. The first picture I think helps us to understand it. Did you know that if you play country and western music backwards, your pickup will start, your dog will come back, and your sweetheart will love you again? I think that kind of helps to establish a baseline. I think there's some other things that are out there as well. Florida Georgia Line? No, I don't listen to boy bands. <laughs> that again, I, I think that kind of helps us focus in and narrow down. Next one, I'm a country music singer, and I have some oceanfront property in Arizona. <laughs> so again, I'm just trying to help. I'm trying to help you understand. The last one, Luke Bryan? Waylon and Johnny said they've never heard of her. <laughs> now, some people might say this is mean-spirited. I prefer to look at it as helpful. Sometimes the truth hurts. And I think it's important for us to be able to understand what is country music. Now, here's where I'm going with that. I promise you. I told you I'd get there. The reality is it can be really, really difficult sometimes to categorize something that is common. It can be really difficult to categorize, to describe something that we think we know what it is. We think we understand what defines that which is common. I don't think you could find a clearer example of this dilemma than when it comes to the Christian faith to describe what is a disciple. A disciple. We've all heard the word disciple. You had Jesus and his 12 disciples who became 11 when Judas hung himself after betraying Jesus. But then there's also this notion that Jesus introduces in the New Testament that everyone, not just those 12 who are closest to him, but everyone who would follow Jesus would be a disciple. A, a Christian means that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Christ. And, and to get at this, I want us to go back to Jesus' final words on earth. If you have your Bibles, look at Matthew chapter 28. If you don't have a Bible with you, we're going to put it on the screen behind me. 
But in Matthew 28, Jesus makes a really pointed statement, a, a, a command for those who would follow him, for his disciples. In Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, here's what the Bible says. Now, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, turn to your neighbor right now, and with Sunday morning passion, tell them, therefore. Therefore. That was good. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, the context of this is really important. This is Jesus's final statement, his final charge before he returns to heaven. He has completed his earthly ministry. He is 40 days removed from being resurrected from the dead, that original rock and roll of the rolling stone that was rolled away. And it is in this moment that he has gathered his closest followers to give them the final charge of what they are to do now that he is returning and will no longer physically be with them in person on the earth. But he says, I will be with you. I am with you, even to the end of the age. I love the fact that Jesus chose to include that and that the Bible records it for us because it's an amazing promise to know that you are not alone. You are never alone in a relationship with Christ. He is always there in you and with you once you become a disciple. Now, this idea and this notion of a disciple, I think, goes to the very core of what Jesus is doing here. It's interesting that he started by saying, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. You know what I love? And this is not on the screen, but I just want to read to you the verse right before that. Look at what, this is, just listen to what the Bible says. When they got to this hillside outside of Galilee, there north of Jerusalem, when they saw him, they worshiped him. They worshiped him. But watch this. The Bible, this is great. But some of them doubted. Is that incredible? These were the people who walked with Jesus. They saw him hung on a cross. One of them even put his hand in the wound in his side. And some of them doubted. It's okay to doubt. And worship. To, to lift up the name of Jesus. The song that we sang right there at the end of the worship set this morning, that, that word hallelujah. Say hallelujah. hallelujah. Now let's say it spiritually. Hallelujah. hallelujah. That's good. Now, that's actually a Hebrew word, and it's a, it's a call, it's a collective call to worship. It's like, let's celebrate, let's lift up the name of God. That's what they're doing on this hillside in Galilee, just a few miles kind of northeast of Jerusalem there, and they, they, still, they still doubted. They still were like, what just happened? And yet they worshiped. And as they worshiped, Jesus gave them this final charge. Jesus gave us this final charge. It, it all starts with go, go, go and make disciples. 
Go and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go and teach them, not just teaching them stuff, but teach them to obey. Teach them to do that which I taught you to do. Go. And so the question that is raised here is, are we, as the church, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ in 2019, Austin, Texas, the center of the known universe, are we really and truly good to go? Are we prepared? Are we squared away and ready to go and tell the good news and make disciples? Now, disciple is a loaded word. Disciple is one of those things that, that kind of conjures images of, of 12 guys walking around with Jesus in sandals and beards and long robes, wishing they were fishing still. But it goes so much deeper than that. A, a disciple is not just somebody who learns. If, if I could, I want to give you a, a working definition of disciple because this is where we're going over the next few weeks in this series, good to go. As we answer this question, are we truly disciples? Are we truly making disciples as a church? Because that's what we're called to do. Now, I, I got to tell you, as I look across the landscape of Lake Hills Church, I get fired up. I think back to just last weekend. Remember last weekend, the people we saw baptized here in front of the stage? That's an amazing celebration. I thought about the children, the children who were baptized after having visited with a pastor, with a leader in our church, one of our staff members who, who knew what they were doing when they got in the water, who were making their faith their own and, and really and truly growing up into followers of Christ to be disciples on their own, not because their parents are making them or dragging them to church. One of the things that we look at around here is how many kids are dragging their parents to church instead of parents dragging their kids to church. I, I think about, I think about LHC students, the, the number of high school and middle school students who get up voluntarily on Sunday morning, which typically follows Saturday night, and they come and they put on a red shirt to serve in LHC kids, and they volunteer their time and their hearts and their minds to lead kids younger than them into a faith in Christ. Let's give it up for our students, shall we? That's an amazing thing. Just, just for the record, your pastor wasn't doing that when he was in middle school. So I'm just saying, it's unbelievable. I think about, about Fearless Mom and the moms who are encouraged and equipped and challenged in here on Wednesday mornings by my bride, Julie, but not just what happens here. The, the lives and the marriages that are strengthened because Julie says so much to these moms, this isn't about changing your husband. This isn't about us getting better and inviting them along for the ride. And I, I know that there are men all over Austin and around the world who are tired of hearing what Julie says, but I also know that there are marriages and families and children who are healthier and stronger and better because of what happens in here on Wednesday morning and online literally around the world. That's unbelievable. I think, about, I think about mobile loaves and fishes, the trucks that roll out of here every single day of the year loaded with food and clothes for the homeless and the chronically poor in our city. 
I, I get excited about that. And everybody say and. and. And we can get better. We can absolutely get better and get stronger. And, and what we're going to do over the next few weeks as a church is not just a message series. There, there will be messages every week when we gather together. But this is really a season for us as a church to, to dig in, to, to increase our engagement quotient. Because when it's all said and done, we really are only as strong as the weakest member of the family. You know, I heard a mom say one time long ago, she said, as a parent, I never realized that you're only as happy as your unhappiest child. Think about that for a second. If you're a mom or a dad who's, who's doing your job, and you have a child who's struggling, whatever the age might be, that's where your focus, that's where your heart goes. And I think as the church, the same thing is true that we're really only as strong as our weakest member. And so our job, our privilege, our responsibility is to help engage every single person that we can, to, to bring them along spiritually to take the next step, to do the next right thing in their lives personally and for us as a church family, to figure out, to pray, to discern where is it that God's leading us. Yes, we, we look around and, and we celebrate God and his goodness and we've got a responsibility to the future. How do we make Lake Hills Church stronger and healthier a generation from now when all of us are gumming our food. What does that look like? And that's so much of the heartbeat behind this series, to be good to go. But you'll notice there, there's a little subtitle to that, and that is, Where You At? I, I want you to turn to your neighbor with a smile, pleasantly ask them, Where You At? Because if it's true that we're only as strong as our weakest member, then that means that we have to get better. If, if we are going to get better and stronger and healthier and, and serve more people, then we have to get better, stronger, and healthier and serve more people. We all have a next step to take. It, it doesn't matter where you are as a believer, as a follower in Christ, or somebody who's just checking things out, kicking the tires. None of us has arrived. None of us has fulfilled our God-given potential to move his purposes forward in this world. So underlying everything that we're going to talk about over the next few weeks is that question, where are you at? What, what are you doing to grow spiritually? What are you doing to do more? Because Jesus didn't just say, teach these new disciples. He said, teach these new disciples to obey. Teach these new disciples to do what I've called you to do. In 2001, a guy by the name of Jim Collins released a book that would go on to become a New York Times bestseller and a classic for anyone who wanted to build a business. It was entitled, very cleverly, Good to Great. And what Collins and his research team did was they devoted thousands of people hours, five years to a research project that studied corporations in America that had been mired in the mud of mediocrity for years, but somehow hit an inflection point 
and then began just hockey stick growth. And they went from good, just kind of average with other people in the market, in the stock market, to absolutely phenomenal, huge success relative to the stock market that was sustained for over 15 years. And Colin said that they chose 15 years because nobody gets lucky for 15 years in business. You, you may get lucky and catch your lightning in a bottle for a year or two, cash out and buy an island somewhere, but nobody gets lucky for 15 years. And one of the surprising findings of their study was that of all of those companies that did go from good to great, that beat the market average, in every single instance, there was not one, not one light bulb, lightning bolt, magic bullet moment. There, there was no rock star CEO that entered the scene and energized the crew. There, there was no marketing or branding campaign that subtly catapulted them into the heights. But rather what they found was that it was just consistent pushing in the right direction over time that ultimately resulted in a breakthrough. And, and Collins and his team came to label this the flywheel effect. He, he says in the book, I want you to picture a massive steel wheel. This, this steel wheel is 30 feet in diameter, two feet thick, and weighs 5,000 pounds. Now, your job is to get that wheel moving as fast as you possibly can. And so you, you say, okay, I'm up to the task. And you, just, and you start pushing this wheel. With everything you have, you just start pushing this wheel and go, man, I wish I had somebody strong like Pastor Mac to help me. And you just, here we go, I'm pushing the wheel. And finally, with, after pushing with all of your might, with everything that you have, leveraging, using the legs, moving forward, the wheel finally moves an inch. And you go, ah, oh, but the wheel will move. So I'm going I'm to push it again. And so as it comes to the end of that inch, you, you lean into it again and you, you push it. And, and this time it moves two inches. And you go, here we go. And you push it again. And you push it again. And you use every bit of energy that you have. And finally, the wheel makes one full revolution. And, and you see it coming around again. And you're like, okay, here we go. Wad, here we go. I'm going to push again. Let's work out of the day. I'm going to push it again. And, 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 the, and the wheel makes two rotations now. And two rotations become four. And four become eight. Eight become 16. 16 become 32. 64. 128. 256. 500. 1,000. 2,000. 5,000. Here we go. The wheel is spinning now on its axle with unbelievable momentum. This is the flywheel effect. Colin says, if I were to ask you what push got that wheel spinning at 5,000 RPMs, you would look at me like I was crazy. You'd be like, it was every push. It was all the pushes. That's the flywheel effect. Colin said of the CEOs that we interviewed, when we asked them what was the breakthrough moment, what was the breakthrough decision, they looked at us like we were crazy. Every single one of them said, there wasn't a moment. Well, one of them said, I guess there was a moment. It was between 1974 and 1985. <laughs> For those of you scoring at home, that's an 11-year moment. What investment made Warren Buffett a billionaire? All of them. It's doing the right thing. It's pushing in the right direction for long enough to build momentum. Jesus 
described in Matthew 28, the flywheel of faith. Jesus said, that is what you are called to. That's what I'm called to. Jesus said, you are the flywheel of the Christian faith. You're the church. Now, it's your job to, to push the wheel. It's your job to work. It's your job to pray. It's your job to give. It's your job to be the church and get the flywheel moving. It's not the job of just the people who talk on Sunday morning. They're, they're involved. They're, they're going to set direction. They're, they're going to offer godly leadership, but it's all God's chilling. It's, it's all of us pushing in the right direction. Jesus established the flywheel phenomena 2,000 years before Jim Collins drew breath. So, where are you at? Over the next few weeks, we're going to take a look at this flywheel effect. Now, we don't call it the flywheel around here. We're calling it full circle faith. And a full circle faith means that a person is fully functioning, that there are, there are really six cylinders that are always firing in the life of a person who is practicing, who is experiencing full circle faith. And I want to just, just introduce these components to you this weekend. And also, as you go through this, I want to make sure that you understand before we put anything on the screen, that you can do these in any particular order. There are some things that happen typically in a chronological fashion, but, but for some of us here, we're, we're going to identify some things that are working and doing well. We're going to look at some other things and go, well, man, I need to shore that up. I need to get better. I need to get stronger in that arena. So full circle faith for purposes of discussion and identification, for, for personal diagnosis to say, where, where am I at? Where, where are you at? Number one, full circle faith is attend Attend. Everybody in this room, you just did. You, you got component number one. Give yourselves a round of applause. Now, I, listen, I know, I know you can go to heaven without going to church. I know that. People tell me all the time, this is opening season, opening weekend of deer season, archery. Don't be shooting with a rifle this weekend. Archery. Some people are like, I... I'm so close to God when I hunt. And I get that. I've, I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt. But there's something that happens when we gather. There's something that happens when our voices ring off of the rafters together with worship that does not happen in a deer blind or listening on a podcast or chilling out at home. I, I'm just saying there's something about attending, about gathering with the family of faith. Man, when, when you walk in, when I walk in, just being here, man, it's encouraging. It's exciting. I look around and I see people, I'm like, this is great. And, and that's not because I'm the pastor. That, that's because that's I'm a follower of Christ. I walked in this morning, front row, Allie Smith. Allie's one of our bonus daughters. I, did, I didn't know Allie was going to be here. She's a nurse. She, she's a nighttime Nick U nurse. Ugh. But Allie, sitting on the front row, smiling, being Allie, that just fires me up. I, I, just, I, I get excited about that. <laughs> so does she. You folks up there in the bleachers, man, I, I love it. 
I'm fired up. Because you're here. Attending is a big deal. I, there are so many options. And listen, I listen to a lot of podcasts and preachers online. That's a good thing. That's a great thing. It ain't attending. It ain't gathering with the family of faith. I loved what, what somebody said in one of our videos a few weeks ago. She said, you know, I used to think that going to church was go, learn what you can, and then go home. She goes, I never realized everything I was missing. And as soon as she said that, I thought, that's what a lot of people think. A lot of us think that attending is just so we can take something in and then go back out into the world. And that's part of it. But there's also this, this thing that happens collectively when we gather together that cannot be replicated. It, it can't be duplicated in any other environment. So if you're sick, if you're infirmed, watching at home right now because, you, man, we pray for you, we lift you up in prayer, and can't wait for you to be back in the house. But it's not an excuse to stay away. And here's the great thing. You know I'm not yelling at you. You're here. I am literally preaching to the choir this morning. So attending is, is the first part. Number two, commit. Let me say this also about attending. For some of you, attending is a massive spiritual step forward. Some of you in this room right now, have overcome enormous spiritual and emotional and relational and historical hurdles just to be in the room. So we celebrate the dog out of that. Man, that's impressive. And committing, committing to a relationship with Christ. That's a huge part of the process. It's not enough to just attend. Now, we've already established it matters. But it's also committing, committing to Christ and, as a Christ follower, committing to a particular church, joining as a member of a church. We think of membership like Gold's Gym. We're coming up on the end of the year. It's getting ready to be October. You can feel the chill in the air already. It was down to 98 yesterday. <laughs> but when we get to the end of the year and start thinking about New Year's resolutions, some of us right now are not members of a gym, and you will join a gym. You will, and that's great. We celebrate that. Your body's a temple. Take care of the temple. Great. But it's different being a member of a gym and being a member of a church. Being a member of a church means that you are a part of the body of Christ, that you, as a part of the body, need the body, and the body needs you. It's a two-way street, so commitment, it may be your next step in your full circle faith. Number three, serving, using your gifts and your talents, helping the church be everything Jesus has commissioned us to be. you got something to offer. You've got spiritual gifts. When you make that commitment to Christ, the Holy Spirit endows you, deposits in your life spiritual gifts that he wants to use for the building up and the growing of the church. So we're serving somewhere. We're helping out. I've mentioned those high school and middle school students earlier. Great example of that. I think about the grandparents in our church whose kids live out of town. Their grandkids don't even know that Lake Hills Church exists, but they serve here. It's amazing. Serving is a big part of it. 
Next up, connecting. Whoo, this is a big one. Connecting. That means actually, I'm going I'm to use the R word, actually having a relationship. I said it. I did. I, said, I threw it out there. Having a relationship with people in the church. Now, we're, we're organized as a church to be inviting to first-time guests, and you can walk in and be anonymous on purpose. Hopefully, you're welcomed and you feel like you're at home. But at a certain point, this, this spiritual journey requires relationship. You, you will never grow to your full spiritual potential if you're not connected to other people in a meaningful way. Now, I would e encourage you to ease into that connection. Don't like, you know, walk into a Bible study and just say, my mom put my diapers on too tight. We all pray for him. Don't, don't, do, don't be the weird guy in the room. But, but make the effort to connect Bible studies, fearless mom, connect groups, wh whatever it might be. Connecting is a big part of it. One, two, three, four, five. Give. If you're a follower of Christ, we're commanded to give generously. We're invited to, to propel the mission of the church forward by giving financially of what God has entrusted to us. Now, if you're not a Christian, ignore that. You, you don't have to. You're welcome to, but you don't have to. But if you are a follower of Christ, giving generously begins with the tithe. By, by tithing, 10% of all 100% that God's entrusted to you. That, that's, that's a part of your spiritual growth and a part of the church's being healthy and strong and able to propel forward giving. Now, hold on just a second. Don't put it up. Don't put it up. There's a gap. We, we still, I told you it was full circle faith, but we haven't yet closed the loop. And, and this is critical. This is so important. So attending, committing, serving, connecting, giving, there's, there's five cylinders. But th this vehicle isn't, isn't really cruising until all six cylinders are firing. The last cylinder is to lead. It is for you to be leading other people to spiritual growth. Jesus said, go and make disciples. What are you doing to make disciples? What are you doing personally to help somebody else be more like Christ? You, you've got something to offer. Now, you're probably not going to start by preaching on Sunday morning. As a matter of fact, I'll, I can promise you at Lake Hills Church, you're really not going to. <laughs> but you have something to offer to lead other people. Man, I think back to when I was a kid growing up at Second Baptist Church in Houston. I remember a guy by the name of Joe Larkin. And Joe Larkin was my Sunday school teacher, I believe, in fourth grade. When he was teaching me in Sunday school, Mr. Larkin was 60, 65 years ago, 65 years old. I wasn't in fourth grade 65 years ago. It was like 20. But it was over 40 years ago. And after I got out of Mr. Larkin's Sunday school class, Every Sunday, he would come find me 
where I was sitting in the sanctuary with my mom and dad at the time. And he would just kind of hand me the little Sunday school curriculum that they handed out to fourth graders every Sunday. I was in high school and Mr. Larkin was still handing me that fourth grade Sunday school curriculum. And I loved it. Now, Mr. Larkin never taught any of my seminary classes. But it was the relationship that we had. It was that connection. Because I promise you, my mom and dad made sure we were at church. <laughs> Believe me. And there were Sundays when I said I didn't want to go. Please, of course. There's Sundays now I don't want to go. Not today. But I think about what a godly man Joe Larkin was. And I remember his wife, Jimmy Larkin. But that happened in the church. It happened because of relationship. And Mr. Larkin would never have had a podcast. He was never going to be on TV. But he was just faithful. And I don't know, but I feel pretty confident that all six cylinders in Joe Larkin's life were firing. I don't remember Mr. Larkin having a bad day. I'm sure he did. He's human. But as we begin this season as a church, I want to challenge you. I, I, want, to I want to be the example with you and for you. I want to be more like Joe. Be like Joe Larkin. Answer the question, where are you at? And here's the deal. Just, just take the next step. Just, just the next step. Take the next step. I don't know where you are this weekend. I don't know what challenges you walked in the door carrying. But I do know this. Jesus promised us when he called us, when he commanded us to go, he promised us, you'll never be alone. He said, I am with you. I am with you, even to the end of the age. If you're here today and you've never experienced that, if you've never stepped into that, you know, what a perfect time to do it. For, for you, it's, it's commitment time. It's committing your life to Christ. Committing your life to the one who gave his life for you, confessing your sins, acknowledging that he is God and you are not, and just praying a prayer of commitment, a prayer of beginning this relationship. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a brief moment, just a moment. If you want to begin, if you want to commit to Christ, then you pray right where you're sitting. 
just silently communicate from your heart to the heart of God. Just silently say something like this in your own words. Just say, Jesus, I need you. You, Jesus, are Lord. You are God and I am not. So I confess my sin to you. I claim your forgiveness. I choose to believe that you died on the cross for me and that you rose from the dead. And I will follow you. I am your disciple from this moment forward. Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray, let's go. Very quickly, very briefly, if you would just remain with your heads bowed. But if that was your prayer, I want to make sure that you understand we want to help with what's next. This is just the beginning. And so as a church, that connect card that's in the program, you've already heard it talked about a few times this morning. Just open that up right now, just right where you're sitting. And just start filling the connect card out. You'll notice right underneath your contact information is a place to say, to indicate I committed my life to Christ this week. That card is how we can begin a, a dialogue and a conversation about what's next. And so once you've completed it, just tear it off along the fold. It's perforated there. And the other thing is, if you would, just as our heads are bowed for another moment, if that was your prayer, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up high in the air for a second. Your hand in the air just kind of stamps this moment in your life, but also in the life of this church. And our family tradition around here, as a family, is that you can go ahead and put your hands down, but we're gonna put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home. 